Mean Old Lion Media presents Corner Table Talk. Hi, welcome to Corner Table Talk. I'm your host, Brad Johnson. Here we explore subjects related to food plus drink plus culture. As always, your questions and comments are welcome. You can reach me at brad at postandbeamhospitality.com. So we are well into fall. This time of year, along with the cooler weather, is a great time for sports. Football season is underway, the NBA is rolling through its preseason, and baseball is winding its way to the World Series. My dad took me to Shea Stadium in the late 60s for my first baseball game to see the New York Mets. At 12 years old, I remember being blown away by the beauty of the park, all of the green grass and the manicured grounds. The sound that echoed around the ballpark when a baseball cracked against a bat while eating a hot dog in the stands with my dad and taking home a Mets banner that I proudly hung in my room. The lasting sweetness of a father-son relationship and a love of team sports was enhanced by those times. My guest today, Adam Katz, is one of the most successful baseball agents in the business. As the executive vice president and co-managing executive of baseball with the Wasserman Team Sports Group, Adam is one of the most decorated and longest tenured agents in baseball history. He currently represents over 30 major and minor league players. In his more than 30 years of representing players, Adam has finalized roughly 600 major league contracts and represented players from over 15 countries. His clients have included Sammy Sosa, encompassing the period around the home run race and the steroid scandal. I'll get into that a little bit with Adam during our conversation. Adam also represented Aaron Boone as a player, broadcaster, and in his negotiations with the Yankees to become the team's manager in 2017. When called upon, he gives great advice. Those of us who have known Adam for decades like I have value his balanced guidance, and he's always available and quick to pick up the phone. He dispenses guidance with an appropriate dose of humility and self-deprecation. Quick-witted, Adam is not one to let an opportunity for humor slip by, and he laughs at his own jokes often. So here we go with Adam Katz. Adam, welcome to Corner Table Talk. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm grateful. I appreciate it. Pleasure to have you. So, Adam, I kick things off with short order questions. Shouldn't tax you too much, but I want to get rolling with a few of these. So tell me, what is in heavy rotation on your playlist these days? What are you listening to? Well, I got Gillian Welch, little uh, folky Americana singer. Uh, Leonard Cohen's always on there. There's a lot of Beatles in the news lately and Stones. I'm going to see the Stones on Sunday night, so I'm back into the Stones this week. Wow, where are they? So far. That's going to be fun. Nice. Tell me, your favorite ballpark? My favorite ballpark, I guess, would have to be the old guys. Fenway and Wrigley have special historic value because they're, they're old and they're so much character. So I'm going to go, and and the fans are so close. I'm going to go with that over the brand new guys. I like Fenway and Wrigley. Like the classics, okay. Best on the road hotel bar, and I'm talking about a place that is not owned by David Raven. 
That's four seasons in New York. That's easy. <laughs> Good. I, I want to keep it easy for you. Okay. Four seasons in New York, then everything else. Ding, ding. All right. True or false? LL Cool J once stole your date in a Hollywood nightclub. Well, that would be, it was true for a minute until I realized he was a fake LL Cool J. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for a minute, it sure seemed like it. <laughs> Either way, you lost your date, though. Right. And now your listeners are getting the sense that I really do laugh at my own jokes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Most memorable live musical performance you have ever seen. Most memorable musical. Uh, I'm going to go with Peter, Paul and Mary. Also exposing myself for being a folky. Peter, Paul and Mary in the, in the D.C. area about 30, 40 years ago. And tell me what moment in sports stands out for you above all the rest. I think you were with me. It was uh, Michael Moore and George Foreman. And Michael Moore was heavily favored. And it was in Vegas. We had a crew of about 15 or 20. And George Foreman out of nowhere put him on the canvas. And I think you were with me. Is that right? I believe I was. Well, thank That's you. That's it. All right. Favorite comedian? Chappelle. No argument there. Best advice you've ever been given? By my father. He, my father only said five things to me. And three of them were keep your eye on the ball, follow through, and be nice to, <laughs> be nice to everyone. <laughs> Those are the three things he said to me. Well, I'm, I, I see that they landed. All right. Last one of these. Who, past or present, would you most like to host at an intimate dinner party? A, a sports figure? Could be anybody. I'm going to keep it in sports because that's the theme here. I'm going to go John McEnroe always fascinated me. I, I, I love the way he played. I love the way he conducted himself. I liked his uh, fiery temperament. So I'm going to go with John McEnroe. Ooh, Arthur Ashe might enjoy a seat at that table too. If it was, if it was including the deceased, there were Arthur Ashe is on that list. Very good. All right, well, let's, let's jump in here. How are you? Doing great. Thank you very much. How are you? Good. I'm good. Thank you. Good, good. So um, we are closing in on uh, the end of baseball season, which will include the World Series. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, does baseball get more exciting for you this time of year? Or does your interest level depend on how many players you represent that are playing in the postseason? In all these years past, I've always been very interested, more interested as we move into the postseason because it gets super intense and every pitch is scrutinized and every managerial move is scrutinized. And for some reason this year, partly because it's Aaron Boone's last year of his contract and he's one of my favorite human beings, much less one of my favorite clients. And we're coming off the pandemic there's a variety of reasons I've gotten more into it this postseason. Enjoyed and uh, watching most of these games at a, and really getting into it this year. Can you just for those people that are listening that that haven't either been represented or know a, a sports agent, just give us a little description about what that job entails. What do you do? First off, there's probably only about 
seven or eight hundred players to represent in baseball. So there's not a lot. So it's it's fierce competitive. So the first thing you do is as an agent or a lawyer agent. I I went to law school, so I call myself a lawyer agent, even though my lawyer friends would dispute that I'm still a lawyer. But the first thing you do is, is I, I would I put it in four categories: get player is Roman numeral one, no, number one, keep players to do contract and support their rights and bargaining. And four, you got to ultimately collect money because it's a business. So those are the four things you do. Get player, keep player, do contract, and collect your fees. Well, you've collected a lot of those. You've negotiated more than $640 million in contracts over the course of your career. That's a number that uh, sounds pretty large to me. Um, And as you mentioned, you graduated from the law school at Notre Dame. I don't know the percentage of baseball agents with a law degree, but I would imagine that's a pretty good tool to have in the toolbox. Is it not? I know in the 80s and 90s, I always thought it was necessary for because you can write you can read, you can critically think like a lawyer. Uh, in recent years, I think it's becoming less of an imperative than it was in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s when I came up. But if I'm voting, I think it's better to have a law degree to do this. But there's a lot of good ones out there that don't have it these days. Are you saying, Adam, that that is the younger crop of folks coming up? In the new wave of agents in the last five or 10 years, I think there's probably a higher incidence of very capable, effective non-lawyers. In my day, I thought it was a imperative to have the law degree. I, I guess I was wrong because there's some good ones out there that don't have it and are supported by lawyers. But I always thought that it helped me to process, analyze, synthesize, and critically think. I'll still maintain it. I think it's better to be a lawyer. Yeah, it sounds like you're you're more of a one-stop shop. Um, without that law degree, that agent is going to somebody with one. In 2017, you made a Forbes list of the most powerful agents in baseball. Yet, I know you to be someone who prefers to not see your own name in print. Um, but yet you have to feel some sense of pride that you are at the top tier uh, of a very competitive profession. I would imagine Stanley Katz, your dad, a practicing attorney in his day, is smiling down from the heavens. Here's a quote that I pulled uh, that I wanted to read and just get you to, uh, to comment. Uh, you said, quote, I value hard work. I think I'm a product of exactly what I came from. There's nothing without all of that. Zero. I place a high value on Lebanon. That's Lebanon, PA, Adam's hometown. And what the community did for me, it's super important to me. I respect. So if you would give me just your thoughts about that, Adam, and talk about your early life, Lebanon, your hometown, your dad, who, as I mentioned, was a lawyer. What are the things that stay with you from the early Cats years? Well, Lebanon was like a little, uh, my backyard was a cornfield and uh, farming rural community it wasn't uncommon to see Amish horse and buggies so it's the kind of community where it's all about family and the your neighbors and hard work and follow through and dedication and commitment it was very like the embodiment or the epitome of just small town values and my parents were part of it and instilled it in me at a high degree in every single day. 
You live in Los Angeles and you raised your son, Sammy, in L.A. Uh, and you grew up with, as you say, these, these small town values. And L.A. is anything but small town. And despite a pretty demanding uh, professional pr- that you're, you're on call constantly, and I, I know you travel quite a bit, um, you were very hands on with Sammy as a single dad with full custody. He graduated last year with honors from LMU, and I've always admired the structure of home life that you created. Can you speak to that? Well, uh, yeah. You know, I just uh, I get points for being present with this kid. That's for sure. And he's um, an Asperger's kid. If your listeners don't know what that is, that's mild uh, autism. And he's just uh, he's got the dedication, hard work gene. And he's if he's if he if there's an obligation put in front of him, he's going to meet it. And he battled through his stuff and graduated. We're summa cum laude from LMU. I'm super proud of him. And he's getting his master's now. And I think what what came from my mom and dad in Lebanon passed through me to him. And he's living proof of it right now. He's doing a great job. He certainly is. Sammy Katz is, uh, he's the man. Adam, agents in some circles, and I'm speaking broadly here across sports and entertainment, aren't always held in the highest regard. But you have managed to maintain a reputation that has earned your respect from players, managers, and owners. What would you say it is about your particular skill set that makes this profession a good fit for you? And how are you able to balance a rapport with both camps? Well, it was a good fit for me because I was a decent little uh, local basketball player and I loved sports. And when I went to law school, I did, as you've mentioned, I went to Notre Dame and the kids there that I competed with in law school were just, they were better than me. And I knew that I didn't want to be a, a traditional conventional lawyer in the out there in the legal world competing with these kids because they were I felt like they were smarter, better, more talented than me. So it was a natural fit for me to marry my my love of sports and that I knew how to play basketball a little bit. I knew how to navigate a locker room and I knew I was going to law school because my dad told me I'm going to law school. So I married those two. and It was just like a perfect alignment stars and moon alignment for me personally and why is it good for me i think this job requires you know not only a little bit of intellect and sports knowledge and ability to navigate the the sports world but it also requires uh some natural sales skills and for some reason i probably have a little bit of that so that was a good fit for me when you're um advocating on behalf of a player who is looking around and and knows the the standard or believes they understand the standard for what kind of deal they you know should expect to get and you're talking to a team who has its own ideas or general manager or, or owner how do you find that balance to to make sure that both sides feel like they got the deal that they were looking for? Well, everybody, you know, all agents, lawyers, negotiators have different styles, as I'm sure you and your listeners know. We all have experienced some of that. My style is I do a lot of listening and try to address the needs of my counterpart and try and be decisive and tough and passionate and knowledgeable and try and get to equitable plus i always say that we don't want equitable we want equitable plus we want both sides to feel pretty good about leaving a negotiation and i want to feel a little better than the other guy that's funny so i want to go back to um the time 
Adam, that you represented uh, Sammy Sosa and, and talk about that a little bit and get your thoughts. As I mentioned, you represented Sammy during the home run race between Sammy and Mark McGuire in 2008 that resulted in both players breaking Roger Maris's longstanding, highly coveted record of 61 homers in a season. You know, really exciting time for baseball and non-baseball fans that was subsequently surrounded in controversy. You and Sammy ended up side by side in front of Congress addressing the issue of performance enhancing drugs. Can you just walk us through the experience a little bit and how you came to represent Sammy? I represented a ton of Dominican players in the um when I first started, you know, rattle, you know, Mario Soto, Damaso Garcia, Tony Pena, Alejandro Pena. We had the the preeminent Dominican practice. So we got a lot of our younger players that came to us came because if you say you represented Tony Pena and Mario Soto, then you got this one and that one. So Sammy came to me or I came to him, I can't recall, and we had a good rapport, and he was looking to switch advocates, and I was fortunate that he chose me, and, and uh, you know, he was, a, uh, you know, I got to say about Sammy Sosa, very loving, loyal, interesting, good person, Sammy Sosa, so I was with him his whole career. What was that experience like? I mean, at one time, I mean, there were, you know, Sammy was in the news just, I mean, it, the, the home run race got such interest. I mean, there had to have been, you know, there was intense media spotlight around it. Um, you know, you had to have quite a few mics shoved in front of you. Just what was that experience like during that time for you? Well, it was like, he was like representing Elvis. You know, he was, it was, it was uh, just insane and but he made it he, he made it easy because he was, you know, he, while he was tough and demanding and he would travel with an entourage and it had to be his music and it had to be his people. And it, he never it was nonstop. He was such a good lo- again, I repeat, he was just such a good, loving, loyal guy and always good natured. So while it was an insane media circus, it was always it was always really fun and pleasant to be around Sammy. Always. Great guy. And so, you know, the the scandal erupted. You end up in front of Congress on CNN. You looked good in a suit, although you you looked like you probably would rather not have been there. What, What were you thinking about during that time, Adam, when you have a player like Sammy, you have such intense, intense attention on an issue like the one that was confronting you and Sammy taking the position that he did. What what were your thoughts? What was happening? What what were the conversations you were having with Sammy at the time? Well, I tur- it turned into lawyer mode, like being his advocate and protecting him. And I never, you know, obviously people can conclude what they want and saw what they saw. And I don't have any quarrel with people's opinions about all of that. I never, as a lawyer... <laughs> asked him about it. I, I I stayed out of it. I knew what he was being accused of. I knew what was alleged. And I knew it was my job to be his advocate, period. So everybody's entitled to an advocate. And I just switched lawyer mode and protect my guy as best that I could. And uh, didn't ask questions I didn't want to know the answers to. Mark McGuire, I think, admitted to using steroids years later, I think in 2010, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Has that question ever been resolved with with Sammy or is it, 
I believe he denied it initially, but that's that's still kind of the position or is something changed there? We're now we're, we're switching to Adam in lawyer mode. He's denied it and that's where it sits. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> funny. Very funny. Um, all right. Next question. Pictures of uh, Sammy over the last few years show a much lighter skin tone. I don't really have a question to go along with that, just an observation, unless you have something to add. No, I've looked at those pictures. I don't notice what you're talking about. <laughs> Let me take a look after the podcast yeah, and we'll check. I'll get back that. to you. We'll have you come back. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Um, and last on Sammy, the, the votes he needed to... Uh, he'd need to be inducted into the hall of fame seem to be going in the other direction. Does he feel he should be in there? Oh, he definitely does. Anybody associated with, uh, I'll use the word credible allegations that has the voters concerned uh, is having difficulty getting votes. So uh, you're not going to see Mark McGuire in there. I don't think you see Barry Bonds on there. So, uh, you know, if I'm forecasting, I wouldn't say it looks good, uh, but you never know. But yes, he believes he was a Hall of Fame caliber player. And he, and of course, he's human. He, I'm sure he feels disappointment that he doesn't get that dream realized. Well, he sure was fun to watch, man. I, I really enjoyed watching him play in the, in the few times that I got to be around him with you socially. Um, I found him to be engaging, charming, and a lot of fun. So I'm a Sammy Sosa fan. Adam, aside from the uh, high-profile athletes that you've worked with, you've also worked with some pretty amazing executives, uh, namely Tom Rich, Arn Tellum, and, of course, Casey Wasserman. Um Tom was someone you pursued early on in an effort to work with him. And sadly, Tom passed away this year. And he was a real game changer in the sport of baseball. Can you take us through your experience and relationship with Tom and how you first became aware of him? Yeah, I'm, I'm, thank you for bringing Tom up because you don't, none of us have any kind of success in whatever field we're doing unless we're supported and have good mentor, mentors along the way. Uh, so I appreciate you bringing up Tom. So my father was a small town lawyer and Tom chose my dad to be his lawyer because he was a Lebanon, Pennsylvania lawyers were half the price of the Philadelphia lawyers. And my dad was a decent lawyer back then. So I knew Tom as a 10, 11, 12, 13 year old. So I got exposed to the fact that this business even existed. And back in 19, you know, in the early 70s, no one even knew that the agent world exists. So I had a sense of it. And it honestly gave me hope because as, as good as I was at basketball, I knew I wasn't going to play very beyond 19 years old. So I knew that this existed. I knew I was going to law school. So it got on my screen. Being an agent lawyer was possible. So I got out of law school. And I, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I didn't want to compete with those Notre Dame lawyers. And I just wrote Tom Rich about 100 letters and called him about 500 times. And he finally agreed to hire me. He didn't pay me, but I, he paid me $100 bills out of his pocket for the first year or two. Uh, I'm fond of saying he spent more money on champagne than he spent on me. <laughs> but um, I knew that if I got my foot in that door, that I would have a chance to succeed because I believed in my skill set. And it worked out. But that's how I met Tom and how I got started. Did you say you played basketball? <laughs> I shot basketball. I didn't Next question. Um, 
<laughs> I shot basketball over you. <laughs> At my age or when I was younger. <laughs> so, Adam, tell me, how did how did Tom change the paradigm for what players of color in the league earned? That is an, another thank you for asking the question. So back in the 70s, the same black and Hispanic player with the exact same numbers as his white counterpart earned much less money. And it was just the way it was. And it was a incredible inequity. And famous player who I met when I was 13 through Tom named Doc Ellis, who incidentally had more charm and personal power than any human being I've ever met in my life to this day. Doc Ellis was just a spectacular human. So Doc finds Tom, and I don't know how they found each other, and they conspired to change the system and get it going in an equitable way. And that's why Tom got into the business, because the same black and Hispanic player was getting was earning much less money than the white counterpart. So that's how Tom got in. And Tom literally got in physical altercations and change the the entire system for guys like me that are just benefit from it and do me too contracts these days my contracts are me too plus but they're still essentially me too contracts and we owe it all to tom to be candid because he changed it back in the late 70s personally speaking and you know weaving the professional to that but you and tom were were extremely close you were business partners for a long time just what impact did he have on you i was a marveled at him because he didn't think like he was an obtuse thinker and he was uh, flamboyant and you know and i'm more of an acute thinker and i'm not flamboyant and he saw the big picture and i saw the single singular deal so we thought our brains work different and his much, much better. And I just was in awe of him and marveled at it, it, it somehow or another, he made it work. It, to me, it, it seemed like he made this airplane that was overflowed with this, that, and the other, and he made it fly. And I didn't understand how he could make the airplane fly, but he did. He was just uh, an innovative, you hate to throw around the word genius. I, I try not to, but he may have been. He was... <laughs> innovative, saw the whole playing field, tough as nails and fearless. So I learned a ton from him. And I would add again, thank you for uh, allowing me to spend a little bit of time with you and Tom. He also knew how to pick a good restaurant. Yes, he did. Boy, was he a flamboyant cat. Holy moly, Brad. <laughs> he lived life all the way through. <laughs> he did. And then later on, uh, you joined Wasserman and you worked with sports legend Arn Tellum, who oversaw Wasserman's sports representation business at the time. And at one time, Tellum was named the most influential agent in sports. Arn's currently the vice chairman, I think, of the uh, Detroit Pistons. So, Adam, in a business as competitive as sports representation, that type of accolade, the most influential, is hard earned. Knowing him as you did, what was it about Arn you think that makes him or made him so effective? So when you ask about Arn, it just reminds me that this is the part of the show where it exposes me as being the luckiest guy in the industry. I got to work with um, Tom Rich for 25 years and Arn Tellum for a dozen Arn was 
uh, did it a little bit different than Tom, not flamboyant, more modest, humble guy, but incredibly, incredibly smart, incredible intellect, dazzling interpersonal skills, sales skills, negotiating skills, and also one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet. So Arn checked a lot of boxes and was, uh, you know, I, again, the luckiest guy that I got to learn from Tom and from Arn, both magnificent and two of the best that ever did this in our industry. So Adam, I'm, I'm thinking of former agent Brody Wagonen short stint with the Mets front office. And on the other hand, a guy uh, who seems to be making improvements in basketball with the Knicks, former agent Leon Rose. Is it a fair question to ask if the skill set an agent possesses potentially make them an effective front office executive with a team? Yeah, I think the skill set that's required To be a good agent lawyer advocate is the same skill set that's required to be a good podcast host, to be a great doctor, to be a great club executive. It's the the same skill required for all of it to be exceptional at any of those things, in my judgment. And that skill would be? Honor, integrity, sales skills, interpersonal skills, balance, toughness, ability to handle adversity, all your basics. Let's turn here to front office Major League Baseball as it relates to black executives. Dave Roberts and Dusty Baker remain the only black managers, and there are currently no black GMs in Major League Baseball. Uh, Doug Glanville, a former MLB player and current ESPN MLB analyst, wrote on the subject, and I'm going to quote an excerpt from what he wrote and ask you to give uh, your perspective, if you would, on the other side. So, quote, after the Selig rule, a policy that mandates teams consider minority candidates was introduced in 1999. Teams quietly began to remove previous managerial experience as a requirement. Analytics became a big driver in hiring. Long struggling for a fair shake, Black candidates were initially told they needed extensive managerial experience to get in the interview room. He goes on to say, then in the second decade of the Selig rule, 11 white candidates were hired without any previous professional coaching or managerial experience. In one case, a team filled its open managerial job by pulling from its front office, handing its general manager and a field position instead of hiring an experienced candidate. Yes, many of the above were respected players and they collectively had a lot of success. But still, that could not explain the absence of color. In every single facet of a Black person's life, the rules change as soon as you get in the line. Your take on MLB as it relates to any of these observations, Adam? Well, I co-sign to Doug. Doug's a, a another tremendous intellect and perceptive, thoughtful, mindful, terrific guy. It's a glaring flaw. It's a it, and it's it's needs to be corrected. And to my knowledge, it's happening. And then it's it's obvious it's not happening fast enough. And beyond, I don't know what to say. I don't work for a club. I don't, I can't fix that. But it's obvious. It's glaring. And and Doug was on the money. The coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, John Gruden, stepped down after emails he wrote contain language that could be considered racist, as well as the use of homophobic slurs. In light of the current climate, politics, race, and sports all in the pot, how did you feel 
MLB reacted to the protests last year? Was there a definitive policy stance the league took on what players could express on the field? That's a tough one. Um, I, I, <laughs> that's a tough one. I don't want to be openly critical. They had some difficulty accepting that in our sport. That, is, that was a heavy lift and very difficult uh, given how we set up in Major League Baseball. It's very, uh, there's a conservative white element to our sport, and it's a little slower moving in baseball than it is in basketball and football. It's, uh, they're a little more nimble, agile, versatile, fast moving in the other sports. Baseball moves mm-hmm. at a little slower clip. Can I leave it like that? That's fine. But do you think that the arc is headed in the right direction? Slowly, not mm-hmm. fast enough, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's moving. But I think we'd all like it to be at a quicker clip. Um, how about agents? Are you seeing more agents of color? Of course. Yeah, I try is, not to uh, pay attention to my competitors. Mm-hmm. I look the other way, but from what I hear and read, there's we're at, there's more agents of color out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, this will really annoy you. Is Jay Z a good business man? <laughs> I would say yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm prepared to answer that question definitively. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. All right. A couple of names of people who you had special rela- and, and have special relationships with. I want to mention and get your comment. Jerry Reinsdorf. Just lucky. I got to know him early on through Tom, another one that flowed through Tom rich. And we got very close when my father passed away. He's the guy I raced to in Chicago. And the one note, Notable thing about Jerry is he's owned the Bulls and the White Sox, and I fly into town and he picks me up in his own old Cadillac. He's one of the nicest, best, most high caliber human beings I've ever met. Terrific guy. Love that. Love that. Yeah. Bill Withers. Oh my goodness. A little reclusive, a little quiet, not the most trusting guy in the world. And I felt so honored and grateful that I got sort of chosen to be in his world. I think it was because we have um, sons that have some similar stuff and we just connected. And I honestly, I felt so lucky and grateful that he allowed me, permitted me to be in his world to some degree. That was a big honor for me. Yeah, you guys had a special bond. All right, Adam, so we're, we're closing in on the finish line here. I have a couple of more questions. There's some indication attendance uh, has been falling slightly for Major League Baseball, yet baseball sits at the top of all major professional sports in attendance. An interesting note that I came across when compared to football and basketball, one study showed 91% of Americans have heard of LeBron James, 88% have heard of Tom Brady, but only 43% have heard of Mike Trout of the Los Angeles Angels baseball's best player. Why do you think that's the case? We have a little more difficult. It's back to we move at a slower clip because of the conservative nature of our sport for so many years. Um, We move a little slower uh, and our finger is a little bit less on the pulse than football and basketball. The other reason is, is that baseball players don't wear anything that kids buy. So LeBron wears shoes and that immediately creates notoriety, whereas Mike Trout doesn't wear anything on the baseball field that kids buy. But we're not marketing our stars in the game quite as well as we should. And I know that's being worked on. It's recognized. And a lot of guys are way smarter than me and way more knowledgeable than me are working on it. So it's it's out there, but it's, it's a reality and it's being worked on. 
Well, obviously, people are going to baseball games. I mean, you know, is that is that purely that number a result of the number of games in a season or fan enthusiasm? What what do you attribute the popularity of the sport to in terms of attendance? It's just the cadence and the pace of it and the April to October thing. It's just it's it's a for me, it's just the the pace of it. And the style of the sport has its own charm that's different than everything else. And I wish it was marketed better throughout because I think it's uh, got a lot that the other sports don't have. But that's what does it for me. The pace, the cadence and the long season and the numbers and the analytics and the metrics and the process is just super interesting to me. And that's that's what I would attribute it to. I would agree, man. And, and I would add nostalgia to that. There's just something about walking into a ballpark and uh, just taking in a game from the stands. It's, it's just fantastic. Who wins the World Series this year? No earthly idea. The Dodgers are probably the best team. Boston is like this seems sort of magical. Houston has like a chip on his shoulder and a great manager. Don't rule out the White Sox. It, baseball is baseball. It's, it's different. Brad, when me and you played one-on-one, we knew that I would win by a point or two because you could just forecast it. In baseball, you just can't forecast it. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Last one. So, are you sure that wasn't LL Cool J? <laughs> Is LL Cool J five foot seven? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you let me know. (laughs) I think that guy that took your girl was a chef. Adam Katz, thank you very much for uh, joining me on the Corner Table talk show. It was a lot of fun to have you. All right, my man. Thank you very much for having me on. I enjoyed it. Well, that was a lot of fun. And I am now here with Ambassador Shabazz and how we move. What's happening? This was fantastic to listen to. Um, You and your array of colleagues and who touches base. I think we got to add these decades on so we can have all these amazing camaraderies and stories um, that should put a marker in time. This forum allows us to update how long we've been at it. And that not just you and I, but life in motion, you know, and the journeys, therefore, this generation presumes things will result quicker. And, you know, when you listen to some of your guests, as well as um, Adam Katz, it's the time put in. It's the the influences of the of the town, whether it's small town values and its parents, the background. It's going from city to city, experience to experience, passion to skill. Um, it's really essential for me, even to be reminded of the pace of development, of engagement, and affirmation. When he talked about, you know, Bill Withers chose him, you know, and we know Bill Withers, and he moved gingerly. You know, he had to gauge. And so it's really something. It's not just the legal skill of an attorney. It's a trusted relationship that really matters. And so it was really great to hear that out loud, but not surprised based on the career that um, Adam Katz has had. Yeah, you know, he and he and Bill really bonded over. Bill has a uh, his son, Todd, has Asperger's. And, uh, you know, Sammy Katz and, and uh, Adam and Bill and Todd just 
you know, really developed a, a great bond. And um, it was just really, really warm to see the relationship between Adam and Bill develop over time. I got to sit in, you know, with a, on a lot of lunches, the three of us, and we had a regular routine of getting together. And, you know, sadly, we lost Bill uh, summer before last. And, um, you know, really, really miss, miss Bill. Um, he was a, a real part of both of our lives. And I really look forward to uh, for those lunches that we used to have. Absolutely. You know, um, so much we're gauging success based on the mogul outcome. And both Adam Katz in his field and Bill Withers in his were certainly um, premium on that list. But what connected them was really the foundational, the compassionate, the inside sensibility. So for that reason, you can entrust. I think it's something we have to get back to, um, find our ways, our way back to in terms of our relationships when you can combine, you know, the law and legalities and, and deal making with some sort of compassion and humanity uh, and the exchange, the trade there, the shared currency is he couldn't do what he did so successfully if his clients weren't also that brilliant or talented as well. And um, so it was really nice to hear that the interview with him and it made me want to know some more. I mean, you know, the, the podcast allows for a good 45 minutes and you really want to dive into the ginger um, background and, and, and journey on some of the other people that we are curious about, but not in a way that unveils them. I loved how he was protective of his clients and mindful of what to say on air and not, where we're upon a time where the story sells. And I think it really speaks to an era and a time, you know, when, you, when you've started someplace where you have real valid or valued relationships that no matter the professional side, the integrity shows up, you know. And, yeah, uh, I, and I and I also just want to mention that I think relative to your point about him protecting his client, you know, one of the things that is important to me as you know the host of this podcast is I am not trying to gather clickbait. You know, yeah. I'm not trying to catch anyone in the gotcha moment. Um, you know, this this is really these these conversations are really intended to just be you know, informative, a, a, a deeper look into the person's life who is our guest and a respectful conversation. So I can certainly appreciate Adam in that instance, wanting to, um, you know, maintain his, even though him, he and Sammy, their professional relationship is, has long since passed, he still maintains that uh, that position. And I completely respect that. Well, yeah, the questions are normal questions. And, you're, you know, from the outside in, they're, you know, curious to a general population and even a fan body, you know, um, because you um, want to get closer to that person and understanding who they are. And it's also in how he handled it, was mindful of that and um, mindful of all parties. I just, am not, we're not used to that exchange and the way the two of you all respecting one another really mattered to me as I'm listening to it, having lived in a space where notable people are often taken advantage of in one way or the other, one line or another, one innuendo or another, and handling it the way you, the two of you did reveals what a bond should look like. Ambassador, tell me, where yes. are you on your way to? What are you eyeing? What are you thinking about? What's next? Well, you know, the fall is quickly coming. Could a year have gone by so quickly? Um, I'm here in Louisville, Kentucky. 
still um, on my way many places, certainly by Zoom. I think I've touched most corners of the earth <laughs> on a regular basis, but also gearing up for actual travel and respecting the borders and the customs, um, logistics in many places. I'm appreciating them. I hope people hunker down are and really and are really mindful. One of the things I'm thinking about while he even being here in uh, Louisville is we're preparing for Muhammad Ali's 80th birthday. So when you talk about the world of sports, this is also the home of the Louisville slugger bat family. Just a month ago, we had the family of Roberto Clemente. And my heart beats really warmly because I was a kid who certainly knew that family as well. And as we talk about baseball right now and the contributions mm -hmm. and the impact of international players to the game of baseball, whom we all know. And we lost him, you know, in 1974. And on his birthday, August 18th, they retired his number, number 21, the Pittsburgh um, Pirates, and stands right there in the Slugger Museum and Factory is this beautiful, tall, brown man whom young people, this generation will learn more about. So I think where I go now is whether I'm seated or I'm surfing, whether I'm engaging or otherwise, I think I'm just collecting information and stories and narratives of people that may have gone by the wayside due to all the news clippings and focuses and really learning who they were as people, as human beings, what their contributions were and not just a headline. And right. What a great name, Roberto Clemente. Does, did you say that Louisville actually has a place where folks can, can visit? In terms oh, yeah. of the, yeah, the bat company? The Slugger Museum. The mm -hmm. Slugger Museum ah. and Factory is where many of your noted NB, MLB players mm -hmm. um, have had their signature bats. And so it was ideal in this little town that people think is just made for the Derby mm -hmm. um, to also give birth to likes the likes of um, Muhammad Ali. And then there's a whole list of others who come through and, and, and put down their mark. So how we move now is really about the quest to unfold and unveil the stories and narratives of people in and around who in small or significant ways impacted a culture generationally. And if you don't do any research because of how fast the news moves now, you won't know about that. So in this area during Spanish or Latino Heritage Month, everyone came out to support this Puerto Ricano who has been gone quite a bit of time, but he set the tone for the many Latinos in the Caribbean who came forth. Well, Ambassador, I am I'm looking for it. I know you are exploring and constantly in touch with a, a wide range of interesting people and events and the people, places and things that you make me aware of that we're gonna be diving into as our show. Oh, yeah. Uh, continues into the year and then into next year as things free up a little bit. I'm really excited and looking forward to to continuing. So Ambassador Shabazz, how we move, we're moving just right. All right. Thank you. Corner Table Talk is hosted by Brad Johnson, produced by Brad and Linda Ailes Johnson. Theme music, Life Goes On by Bryce Vine. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Corner Table Talk podcast wherever you get your podcast. Follow, subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. Corner Table Talk is a mean old lion media production.